We got a busy summer up ahead of us. How many know sometimes in Chicago we skip spring and go right to summer? Did anybody enjoy the 80-degree weather yesterday? And then we go to the blazing hot, you know, humidity. But I'm enjoying the little bit of spring that we have. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 5. God is on the move. I'm so thankful that that song was sung today about getting religion out of the way. Can we put those lyrics up? Because this is going to fit in uh, for the first song. Please and thank you. John chapter 5, Do You Want to Get Well is the name of today's sermon. I want you to think about these lyrics that talk about getting religion out of the way. I want to see those lyrics that have to talk about getting religion out of the way. Look this. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Thank you, my brother. Break down the walls of my religion. There's a lot of people that are hung up on the tradition of going to church and being a a Christian, but they're not living the life of a Christian. Having the traditions of a Christian doesn't make you a Christian according to the Bible. I know like according to our culture, when we do these kinds of traditional things, it it honors our culture. But that's not what honors Jesus. You know, that's not what honors the Lord, folks. It's just getting up and coming to church and just saying, I'm here because that's what Christians do on Sunday. No, what honors God is when you seek him with all of your heart, soul, and strength, when you love him. Not just when you try to say something with your mouth. You have to put your life behind what you believe. Put your actions behind it. Obey the gospel. Somebody say, obey the gospel. Thank you. We're not here just for tradition. The tradition is not wrong. That doesn't mean it's wrong to go to church on Sunday. So don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that traditions are wrong. It's good to have tradition. I'm glad you came to church today on Sunday. I'm glad our nation gives you, most of you, the time off on Sunday to go to church. But that doesn't please God, just that tradition. And then religion, yes, I'm a part of a religion. It's, it's not just a religion. I'm with Jesus Christ in a relationship, but it is a religion in the definition of a belief in God. How many of you have a belief in God today? How many of you have practices and things that you do, amen, according to that belief in God? How many do that? Amen. Thank you. So you have a religion, but you have more than a religion. So I love that this song was saying this this morning because you and I need to shake the ground of our tradition. Some of you have things in your lives that God does not want in your life anymore, and you have to stop saying to yourself, well, I went to church, I did my part, and if that's all that I need to do, then that's good, and if God wants to do his part, he'll do his part. That's not how it works. You need to shake up that ground. You need to come out of your complacency and say, I want to be what God wants me to be, and I'm not going to settle for anything less. See, the Catholics or others in in religion and have tradition, they'll say, well, if God wants to do something, then he'll do it, you know, when I came to communion or when I went to confession. Pentecostals, we can become the same exact way. Well, I came to church, I worshiped, I said a few, you know, I sang a few songs, I came to the altar. And then if, you know, if God wanted to give me a miracle, then that's just the way it was supposed to be. And if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. But that's not the way God operates. God operates according to our faith. You can be right next to Jesus and not get a miracle from Jesus. All the disciples were around him, and yet he said, who touched me? And they responded, well, everybody's bumping into you, Jesus. But he said, no, somebody touched me in this kind of a way, a way that results in a miracle. So please, brothers and sisters, hear my heart today as one among you. I'm not above you. I'm among you. I'm with you. Hear me today when I tell you if you don't shake up the ground of your tradition and break down the walls of your religion, you can become a part of the frozen chosen. 
You can be the very thing that we left to come here for. Some of you came from dead churches. Some of you came from dead religion. And you came here and you felt the presence of God. And you said, man, this is real. I felt this. Something happened here. But now you can get stuck in this. If the disciples could get stuck in their relationship and they were seeing Jesus do miracles all the time and Judas could backslide, how much more could we? If we take this for granted and don't shake up those traditions, break down those walls. And so today, the question I want to ask you is not just to go past you and ask your neighbor. I want to ask you, each one of you here today, as someone who loves you, do you want to get well? Because if there are areas of your life today that are not well, God is asking you that question, and he wants you to respond accordingly. Because simply just saying your excuses will not keep you where you're at. You can come to church and say, well, I know God wants to change my marriage, but you know, it just is what it is right now. It hasn't changed, so maybe God's still testing me. And you haven't done your part. You haven't did what God asked you to do. Or you could be sitting here as a young adult and you're saying, oh, I know God wants me to do things in my high school, my college, but you know what? He'll do it in his own time. I'm just waiting on him, waiting on him. A lot of excuses and complacency and backslidden, lukewarm ways are hidden behind the excuse, I'm waiting on God. As the old timers used to say, God's waiting on you. God's waiting on you to take a step of faith. And so as we were singing this song, it just so encouraged me with the message because if we, Metro Praise International, want to do what God has for us to do, we can't wait for God to do another thing. The thing that God has done has already been given to us, and it's enough. It's more than enough. You and I, especially most of you here coming regularly, serving the Lord, going through our discipleship, going to the life groups. You already know and believe enough to see the miracle happen. You already know and believe, by your head knowledge at least, at least you affirm it and I know you confess it, you already believe and, and, and acknowledge that God has given you all the tools that you need. So take, for example, anyone here is still looking at pornography. Why is that? It's because you really don't want to stop. It's not that God hasn't made a way for you to stop. It's that you don't want to stop. You don't want to get well. Those of you here today that deal with anxiety and depressive thoughts, and I know that we are um, a church that understands mental illness and trauma, and we encourage you, if the pastoral counseling doesn't work, to go seek counseling outside of the church. But for many of you, you've used that as an excuse You've used it as an excuse like, well, I tried the church counseling, and now I'm going here, and then this is the medicine they give me, and this is just where I'm going to be the rest of my life. When you know that's not God's best for you, when you know the anxiety and the depression is a result of you not handling the mental life the way God asked you to do it. And so do you want to get well? Do you want to be free? Some of you here are struggling with your finances, and it's continually month to month. And you'll reach out to the church for help, and we love to help, and we love to give what we can. But this is not a handout. This is a hand up. You've got to look at your life and how you're budgeting and how you're spending and whether or not you're being faithful to God in your tithes and offerings. And during the hard times, are you speaking faith? Or do you just become easily discouraged and depressed and speak negativity over your situation? And then change the blessing of God. You change the blessing of God. The blessing of God is meant to be consistent in your life, but you can block that flow. And so you'll make that excuse. Well, then when God wants to bless me, when God wants to do this, but God's already done what he's going to do. 
He's asking you, do you want to get well? And so I say this as a pastor, from my heart to yours, not to discourage you, not to condemn you, but to look at yourself in today's story and to see if you can relate to this. And then, of course, go be the Jesus to others. As we read this story, be like Jesus to others who are busted and disgusted on barely get along street next to Grumble Avenue, as I always say around here. You know, then you need to go to them and share with them what God has done in your life and ask them if they want to get well. Some of you stick around 201 for have been sticking around 201 for years. There's no reason for that. You should be graduated from 201. There should be more Bible studies here because you have stepped out and did what God asked you to do instead of waiting and saying that when everything lines up perfect on that one, you know, full moon on Tuesday, when I, you know, have a little tingle in the back of my neck, and then I, you know, look at my spiritual signs, and I look at the Bible and Isaiah 5, 6 on May 6 or something lines up, that's what I'm going to be it. All of that's nonsense. The reason why many of you have not graduated 201 in a year is because you don't want to graduate 201. You are comfortable being where you're at, continually being breastfed the things of God instead of learning to cut your own steak and eat meat because that's, because that's easier for you. And then you'll use spiritual terminology and say, well, this is God's plan. This is, you know, I'm waiting on the Lord. And that's not true. I've done this long enough, brothers and sisters, to see it's not true. You'll be waiting forever and nothing will change. I remember one young man, he used to intern with me. He said he's not going to come back and work with me again until the Lord, you know, gives him revival and then we can do things together. I remember knowing him in his late teens. Now he's in his 30s. He's been, I believe, to six different ministries, and he's still waiting for revival. He's still waiting for it. When I sold him a long time ago, because I had known him in New Orleans and I resettled in Chicago, and I said, come back, brother. I got a place for you now to work. You can be successful here. You can become the evangelist. You can go to Bible college. And yet years later, he's still waiting. He's still waiting. He keeps telling me, I'm doing what the disciples is in the upper room. And I say, brother, they were only there 40 days. You're almost 40 years old now. And you haven't accomplished any of these things that you could have done during this time. And yet I hear it even now from people in our church. Well, I'm waiting on the Lord to do this, brother. Pastor, I know, I know, pastor, I know. I'm waiting on this. And the question really isn't, are you waiting? I'm tired of, of you telling me that. The question that you need to answer from me, your pastor today, is do you want to get well? Do you want to graduate 201? Do you want to be a biblical leader in your community, leading Bible studies? Do you want your marriage to be an exemplary marriage? Young people, do you want to see a school club there? I remember uh, talking to one young person the other day. He doesn't attend our church anymore, and he was telling me about the excuses of his school and why he can't start a school club. Brother, and I, I just said to him, do it in front of the flagpole. What are you waiting for? You don't need to sit here and wait for a teacher to approve of it and then come before us, the radicals, because you haven't seen us for a while. And now you're just going to appease your conscience and say, well, I'm trying to be radical, Pastor. No, you're not. Get out there and be radical in your lunchroom. Preach the gospel until a teacher says you can't do that anymore. My friends used to preach the gospel in the lunchroom. And I remember I was a backslidden sinner. Start in front of your, your, your pole, the the. Uh, the flagpole, and start a Bible study. Stop making excuses. 
I talked to these pastors around here. So many of them are backslidden. Many of them showed us who they were during this time of COVID. They don't care about you. This is all they care about. They submitted to a wicked government when they knew better. And they used the excuse, it's for your safety. No, it was for their reputation. That's why they didn't have church. It wasn't for your safety, brother and sister. It was for their reputation. God have mercy. We just had a pastor get out of solitary confinement in Canada. And yet we had churches here in our surrounding area in Indiana and different places. After the governor, praise God, said you could meet, they said, for your safety, we still won't meet. It wasn't for their safety. It was for their reputation. It was because they feared man more than they feared God. And then I talked to these pastors. Oh, we are just waiting for the government to give us permission. We didn't need the government to have permission for Jesus to rise from the dead. And we don't need their permission to have revival in Chicago. I don't need the mayor's permission to have revival. I want revival in Jesus' name, and I won't settle for anything less. And I hear the Lord asking me, Joe, do you want revival? And I say, yes, Lord. Give me revival or I die. I want revival more than anything else. That's why we'll stand on the streets in front of the abortion clinic. That's why we'll stand on the streets in the west side. Because this means something. Do you want to get well? Do you want things to change in your life? Do you want to be a graduate of the 201 class? Do you want your finances in order? Do you want your stinking thinking to go? Those of you who deal with your stinking thinking, when was the last time you memorized the scripture once a day and said it a hundred times? We just want to take another pill, another psychotropic drug, tell a counselor our 500 problems again so that we can feel like, you know, they understand. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but too much to do what? To let you stay that way. When we read this scripture, I want you to have this song also in your mind. That it's time for you, it's time for us to get hungry and thirsty, to desire what God has for us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you for that time to hear the word. Look at John chapter 5, verse 1. Do you want to get well? Jesus is hanging out. He's going to see a man. He's going to heal him. And we're going to learn from it to be like Jesus and to be like the man. We'll do it from both sides. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades or like pillars. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And now you have to use the King James here. There's a variant, and we side with the King James in the majority text. For an angel went down at certain seasons or certain times into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So let's just get it. There's a place with five pillars. It's called, you know, this, uh, it's called Bethesda. It's there by the sheep gate, and there people used to be laid out who were sick, and God would touch the water with an angel, and then if people would get in right after that angel touched the water, they would be healed. I believe God can do something like that. How many believe it? Amen. I don't have time to defend miracles. You guys have heard my defenses of miracles so many times. You could probably save them if there's a visitor here. Ask one of your friends about why we defend the things of the Bible like this. We believe it. And so there's a man there. Let's go there. Verse 5, Jesus walking by there. And one who had been invalid there for 38 years, he was there. 
When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Somebody say a long time. Thank you, a long time. He asked him, everybody read this with me on a count of three. One, two, three. Do you want to get well? That's what Jesus asked him. You see, to most people, that wouldn't be kind because it should be obvious the man would want to get well. But you see, Jesus is looking to the condition of the man's heart because you can be in your problems and still not want to get well. Jesus wanted to check that man's heart. Man, do you want to get well? That's why I don't give all my money to the homeless. I used to do that out of fake mercy and compassion. That's fake mercy and compassion. That's fake mercy. I'm not saying being generous and kind to people is fake, but I'm saying most of the time when we toss them a dollar, that's being fake because we don't want to get into their lives. The good Samaritan took them in and did whatever it took to help them. So when I meet the homeless, I ask them, do you want to get off the streets? That's the question. Not do you want a dollar? Not do you want some money? The question is, sir or ma'am, do you want to get off the streets? Because if you want to get off the streets, I got you right now. We'll bring you to a program right now, Pacific Garden Mission. We'll bring you to Teen Challenge. We'll get you hooked up at the woman's home. We'll get you right now. Do you want to get off the street? That's the real question we ask the homeless. And here we ask, uh, we see Jesus asking this man, do you want to get well? That's the most compassionate thing you can ask somebody that's been in it for a long time. Because many people are defined by their sickness, defined by their weakness. This is who I am. I've been like this so long. I've been in this church for so long. This is who I am. I'm the 20-year, you know, 201 student. I'm going to be here for 20 years. You know, our children are going to graduate before you, and that's, you're going to own that. Man, that's, that's not what you want to be in Jesus' name. Amen? You don't want my daughter, who's, who was born at the time you were in it, you know, to graduate 201 before you. You know, you don't want your marriage to still be busted and discussed, you know, two, three, four, five years from now while you're getting ready to marry your children. You understand? You want your stuff in order now in Jesus' name. Amen? You don't want to wait for the next check to come from the government for you to learn how to save money while getting on the next tax return. Do you want to get well now? Do you want your life to change now? That's the gospel that we preach. And I appreciate Lauren sharing her heart because that's what I believe. I believe addiction's in now. I believe lives change now. I believe that one Bible study could change your life. I'm shouting and hollering that on the streets. And then some of you are a contradiction to that. God have mercy. Stop doing that. Stop contradicting what I'm saying here in Jesus' name. When I say that a Bible study can fix your depression, that should count for you too. When I say a Bible study can fix your anxiety, that counts for you too. Bible studies, hanging out with Jesus, fix and heal the mind. When I say that God blesses and strengthens you to prosper, you should be prospering in this church, finding a way to increase and to grow. Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? Now notice this man's response, verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to get me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. How many know that wasn't the question? I got to help people sometimes when I talk to them. I, I oftentimes say this. I'm going to repeat myself. You didn't, you didn't hear the question. If you ever hear me say this phrase, I repeat myself, would you do me a favor and check into what I'm saying? Because you know if you've been around me, if you hear that phrase, I'm going to repeat myself. This is my second time saying this. If you hear that little phrase before uh, another thing coming at you, please check into what I'm saying. 
Jesus didn't ask the man, what are your problems and excuses in getting to the well? He didn't ask the man that. He didn't say, hey, man, what's hindering you from getting into that water? He didn't ask him that. He asked him a very simple question, brothers and sisters. Do you want to get well? That was it. That's why I love my Jesus. I know oftentimes people want to take our prayer times as counseling. And maybe in those moments you miss Father Tom in a dark closet because you got to confess all your naughty secrets there and go on and on and on. That's not what altar calls are for. Sir, ma'am, do you want to get saved? Let's get saved. You want to get delivered? Get delivered. You want to be healed? Be healed in Jesus' name. That's what God will do. I know we do counseling here, and it's wonderful, but I want to encourage you to come back to church, come back to these altars, hungry for the Lord to do something. Well, I'm just going to come to the altar and talk to my friend for the next two hours up here about all the troubles of my life. There could be something in that. Maybe God will use you to do that every now and then, but some of you just need to cut through all of that. This is not the Dr. Phil show where we're going to explain it to you for an hour. The question is, do you want to be free from your attitude? Do you want to be free from that addiction? Do you want to be free from that, in, that, that, that inability to control yourself? Do you want to be in control? That's what Christianity is like. Oftentimes people mock us. Well, you just think you, know, you could just say a prayer and everything changed. Yes, that's exactly what I believe. That's exactly what I believe. Yes. You say, well, what if it doesn't happen that way? Well, then I'll still do it the other way. But I still believe God can change in a moment what we couldn't change in a lifetime. God can change in a moment what we cannot change in a lifetime. Why are we not giving him his space? We are, why are we not making room for God to do what he said he would do? How much do you think I can really counsel you out of your problems? Do you have more faith in me than you do in Jesus? People come to this church and oftentimes say, well, I want to talk to you. And they're pointing to me. And I'm trying to show them a leader. And they're like, no, I want to talk to you. Man, what is wrong with you? Are you an idolater? Do you want to buy my statue and stick it on your car so that you can have me everywhere you go? What is wrong with you? We are here serving Jesus Christ. If you didn't get it, I'm going to give it to you now. I'm not him. But I can lead you to him, and he'll set you free in Jesus' name. I know my stuff. I know that I'm not your Messiah. John the Baptist was very clear. He said, I'm not him, but I'm a way to him. I'm preparing a way for him. I'm a way to Jesus. I'll help you get to Jesus. But you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the afternoon, Jesus in the evening. You need to call on his name. Call on Jesus. The old timers knew what they were saying. I am more convinced now than I have ever been that the old timers were wiser than the wisest people we have today. Call on Jesus. They knew what they were saying. You better call on Jesus in the morning. When you wake up, if you're a person prone to depression, if you're a person prone to anxiety, call on Jesus. Dance five minutes before you get out of your pajamas next to your bed. Smith Wigglesworth said he danced five to ten minutes every day in his prayer time because he wasn't going to allow himself to become an old grumpy man. 
He was going to break the curse off of the men that get old and grumpy. So he said, I'll dance before the Lord like David danced. Five to ten minutes every morning and just tell the Lord how much I love him. Call on Jesus. This man gave Jesus an excuse. But I thank Jesus that he's patient with us even when we make excuses. But he ain't got time for our excuses. Look at what he says in verse 8. Then Jesus said, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. End of discussion. No more counseling. No more hearing about the tear in your beer and how you've tried it before and it didn't work and how this church did you wrong and how this thing over here is not what you thought it was and you went over here and you tried that and all, all these failures. No, Jesus didn't have time for this man to go through his life story of 38 years of failures of how he couldn't get into that pool. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And then when the man said that excuse, he said, let us just cut to the chase. If you want to get well, get up now, pick up your mat and walk. That will show that you want to get well. How do we know whether or not the man did it or got well? Because he did that. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. How will I know you got this message? You'll graduate 201 in the next graduation ceremony. How will I know you got this message? You won't need marriage counseling anymore. How will I know you got this message? Every single one of you will be faithful to your discipleship and to your evangelism. That's how I'll know you got the message. You get up and walk. That's how I'll know it in Jesus' name. That's how you'll know it, and you'll get boldness in your faith. You'll say, if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. I remember going out there two weeks ago to the west side, and there was a sister that reminded me exactly of Tina. Where's Tina at? Come on, Tina. You remember that girl? She looked just like you. I had you guys meet together. And you know what? All she wanted to do was talk about her problems. And I saw you pray with her, and I hope that it worked, but I saw her getting into trouble after we left. But you know the difference between you and her? Is Jesus asked you if you wanted to get well, and you got up and walked in Jesus' name. She still wants to have 10 talks and 10 debates. She still wants to get 10 pastors to feel sorry for her. But you made a decision about 10 years ago that you were going to get up and walk. That's why today you're married. That's why today you got your baby. That's why today you're blessed. Has God did the same thing for her? Absolutely. And I was just getting that in my mind because they look like twins. See if you can find that picture, please, from the outreach of her twin. They're together in the grass field praying, and you guys will get what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about? You were there. And I thought to myself, this illustration, literally, because they were like a mirror of each other. I said, the only difference between this one and that one is one said, I'm going to trust Jesus and get up and walk. There is nothing inherent inside of Tina that made her better than that person. But what makes Tina better off is that when she heard Jesus say, get up and walk, at once she got up and walked. She took Jesus at his word. And that's what we have to do. Otherwise, Jesus is not going to argue with you. Otherwise, Jesus is not going to give you a different option. This is it. Either you obey Jesus, get up and walk, or you and your sorry, sad self is going to stay by that pool for another 38 years. And I can't wait to get to heaven to see how many times God was proven true, but we didn't know about it. Because, you know, we feel like sometimes we have to defend God. You meet somebody that says, well, I tried all that and it didn't work. I can't wait till we get to judgment day. And Jesus can say, put on the brakes, angels, rewind that part of their life and show them right here they didn't do what I told them to do. 
I can't wait to every time we've been frustrated in counseling and in different situations in our life or parents maybe with your adult children and God's going to be able to say, rewind the video. I'll show you right where they decided not to listen to me anymore. It wasn't your fault, mom or dad. God knows what he's doing. And he's asking us to trust him. Get up and walk. You want to lose weight? Get up and walk. Start walking more today in Jesus' name. You want to know how I lost almost 80 pounds? I ate less, moved more. That's how you lose weight. Well, I want to try the third, fourth the fad diet. You know, fast this and then do this and that and this and that. Here's a real simple one. Stop putting so much in your mouth and start moving this more. You'll lose weight. But do you want to lose weight? Or do you want us all to feel sorry for you? See, I used to be a big boy, and you could have felt sorry for me. Oh, pastor, he's so busy. He's got kids. And I could have stayed in my fatness. Somebody say he still loved Je- Somebody say Jesus still loves fat people. We'll say it like that. Jesus loved me while I was fat, but I had to make a decision. Do I want to get well? Do I want to get well? Joe, are you done doing this? Well, then get up and walk. Get up and move. God is telling us to stop making excuses. You don't like your prayer life? Get up and pray. You don't like how it's going for you right now on your job? Get up and get another job. Or be, uh, be successful on that job by getting up early, staying late at that place. The Bible is telling us to do something. Jesus did not make that man get up. That man had a decision that day on whether or not he would get up. Somebody stretch your hands towards this woman in the right and say, Father, come on, stretch your hands towards her and say, Father, in the name of Jesus... I pray what you did for Tina will be done in her life, and she will get up in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Look at them twinsies right there. Do it, Father. I said, you guys got to meet each other. I'm weird like that. I always bring people together. Just say, you guys look like each other. Every time I'm around uh, uh, people that remind me of other people, I'm the guy who brings that up. You remind me of so-and-so. Oh, I got to show you a picture of them. Get up and walk. I want to see revival in this city. So you know what I did by God's grace? I I asked you guys to pitch in so that we could get a church truck. Where do you think that church truck came from? You think that dropped out of heaven? Do you think some other pastor said to me, hey, Joe, this is how I think you should build your church. No, it was me praying for God to send revival. And God said, how bad do you want it? Do you want to give up your Mondays? Do you want to give up your Fridays, Saturdays? I remember when we first got that truck, the Lord said every time, this is what the Lord told to me, every time it goes out, you go out with it. You let the people know how much that truck's going to be out. I remember there were some weeks I was out on that truck for three to four times a week. Hours. Why? Because God said, how bad do you want revival? I said, God, I want it. I'll be right here. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want change? How bad do you want what's not in your life today? How bad do you want to see God's miracles come? To the one that's sick today, God is saying, get up and walk. Can we pray for you? Can we pray for you to get well? I want to take that literally. How many sick people are here today? Let's pray for you to get well in Jesus' name. How many need life changes? How many need things to change in their life? Can I hear an amen? Let's get up and walk in Jesus' name. At once, he got up. He, once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. That's my Jesus. 
I remember being in cemetery, I mean seminary, and I was telling my testimony. And I've never heard this, brother, but I want you to listen to me, Ezekiel. I never heard this. And I had a choice, and I made my choice. But I'm going to tell you this story right here. I was in a seminary, and they, you know, they go around, and these pastors tell their testimonies. So, you know, it was my turn to tell my testimony. And then you guys have heard it a hundred times. You probably could say it just like me. I even got some of you always wishing me spiritual happy birthday because you know I got saved November 5th, 1995. You hear it so much. So I told my testimony, Ezekiel, and I said, man, I was going crazy. I thought I needed to be put in a mental hospital. My mom said, you don't need a mental hospital. All you need is Jesus. I gave my heart to the Lord that day. I was saved and transformed, and then I went on and did ministry, and that's where I'm at, you know, why I'm here today. And I remember a man coming up to me afterwards, and it tested my faith. It really did, and this is what he said to me. He goes, you know what? That's a touching story that you talked about, how God took away your mental anxiety and pain. But, you know, I got a mentally ill sister, and, you know, she's been praying for her stuff to change, and it hasn't changed, you know. Maybe when you tell your story, you got to make sure that people understand that it doesn't always happen like that, you know. And I want to be honest because I felt compassion for this man. I felt compassion for his sister. But you know what I heard in this man's uh, advice for me, well-intended advice? I heard the, the serpent speaking to me with the subtle voice, with the the serpent speech of God doesn't always do that. You shouldn't go around giving God glory like that. And I'll tell you what, in my heart, I had a choice to make. And at that moment, I looked back at that man and I said, I don't know about your sister. I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about what God did in my life. And I know he can do it again. And I'm not changing my testimony for anybody. You'll have to make a decision, Brother Ezekiel. Do you still believe God can do it? As I always said, I didn't take 12 steps. I took one step to an altar. Do you believe God can still set free people from addictions? I believe it in Jesus' name. One of our brothers was working for Teen Challenge. God have mercy. They've left our city, sold their building to condos. David Wilkerson would roll over in his grave. And the brother said, they do more now counseling than they do casting out. Some things, my friends, need to be cast out in Jesus' name. But you're going to have a choice. Do you want to fit in? Do you want to tell a story that doesn't offend anybody? Well, that will offend me if you tell it this way because my sister hasn't been free yet. Well, maybe your sister needs to get up and walk in Jesus' name. I don't know what's going on in your sister's life, but I know that when I called on Jesus, he heard me and he changed me and I got up and walked. That's the way it was for me. Sometimes people want to tell their testimonies as if they put in this effort. As if they did something and they kind of want to take credit for it. And then that gives people the impression, well, I'm glad that religion worked for you. And I'm glad that this is your crutch and all of this. And I'm glad that you were able to change yourself. Listen, baby, I didn't change myself. Jesus changed me. Maybe you know of other Christians that change themselves, then they're not real Christians, okay? But they call themselves that. Maybe that's confused you, but I want to be honest with you. True Christians will throw up their hands and say, it wasn't me, but it was God. It wasn't 1% me and 99% God. It was 100% God. (laughs) All God, none of me. I don't like what church has become now. We feel like if we don't have the, the smoke machine, if we don't have the, the size of the building, if we don't have the dress of what's popular today in Christianity, people don't get excited anymore. 
They look at us going outside and preaching the gospel as if we're less than. Let me tell you, there's more gospel on our gospel truck than in most mega messes in this city. Are you listening to me? I don't say that to be mean because I love many of these pastors, but they've become cowards and they've lost many of them the true sight of the gospel. There is more gospel on a street corner with four or five of us than there are in these churches, many of them with thousands. Because they don't have the gospel anymore. The gospel says God is more than enough. The gospel says it's all Jesus. The gospel calls on people to obey. Obey the gospel. You don't just believe the gospel. The Bible says you obey the gospel. Isn't it something that Jesus took time to be with this man, and now this man had a choice? Does he get up and walk, or does he stay here and keep debating with Jesus? He gets up and he walks. Now here we're going to get into the reason why religious people didn't like him and why eventually he'll get crucified as the Jews collude with the Romans. So let's take a detour into this part of the story, which is important for us to understand. And by God's grace, next week we'll see his rebuke to the Jewish leaders. So the man takes up his mat and walks. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. And that is true. But you see, God was greater than this act of religion or that rule of religion. God never changed his moral laws. But God was able at any time to bend those religious rules to fit his purpose. And he told them over and over again that the rules were made for you. You were not made for the rules. The rules of the 613 Jewish laws were subservient to the will of God. That's why David, when his men were hungry, they could eat from the table of showbread, even though that was not allowed. But in those times, that was able to be done. Also, if an ox or something that was important to them fell into a ditch, they were able to do the work to get it out. These ceremonial or civil laws were only temporary and were meant to point them to the greater law, which is the law of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And so here these Jews trying to do what's right in their eyes are actually being hypocrites. Why is it this man can walk now and take a mat on the Sabbath and, and, and be right with God? They should have been asking, how can a man ask a man to walk and to get up on the Sabbath? They were concerned about Jesus telling them to take a mat rather than Jesus telling the man to get up and walk and it actually happening. Do you see they were focused on the wrong thing? They should have been focused on how in the world are these miracles happening? Let's figure out the ceremonial stuff later. But the man replied to them, the man who made me well said to me, pick up my mat and walk. So, I, you know, you can almost hear him saying, like, I had a choice. I could have stayed where I was, busted and disgusted, or I could have listened to this man and get up and walk. So you got to figure out the deal now. Because why would God contradict himself? God is showing us he's greater than these ceremonial laws. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. So at this time, he probably didn't even know who Jesus was. For Jesus has slipped away into the crowd that was there. How many know Jesus is ducking off? I did my part. I'm just ducking off, moving on with my day. I ain't got time for this. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple, and he said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Man, what's wrong with you, Jesus? Jesus, you're supposed to encourage him. You're supposed to whisper in his ear and say, it's all going to be all right. I love you. I'll see you later, boo. That's what you're supposed to do, Jesus. 
That's how you talk to a man you just healed. No, Jesus sees the man. He's like, hey, man, I see you all right. You doing good? Stop sinning or something worse going to happen to you. You think this is as bad as it gets? Hell is worse than this. Get your life right. I love my Jesus. When he talked to the woman at the well, he said, go call your husband. She said, man, you, you, you must not know me because I don't got a husband. He said, yeah, you're right. You've had a whole bunch, and the one you have now is not your husband. Jesus loved her enough to tell her the truth. In John chapter 8, as they're about ready to stone the woman in adultery, Jesus is going to spare her from being stoned. That was a civil law. That was true. You're supposed to do that. But Jesus is going to show his grace is greater than those ceremonial civil laws. But what does he say at the end? Woman, who are your accusers? She says, no one, my Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. But what? Go. Go and sin no more. Do you see a theme in John's book? Do you see a theme in the Gospel of John when he talks about what Jesus was about? Jesus knew how to get it right and to help people to live a successful life. He knew that this invalid could go to hell now with walking limbs or working limbs. You can go to hell with your belly filled, so when you feed the homeless, you better tell them about Jesus and the judgment to come. Are you listening to me? A lot of my friends, they now have figured it out. Well, we got to go gospel light to get into these schools. And I'm not saying it's always wrong. You know, they want to have these school assemblies. But now they've emptied it so much of the power of the gospel that all they're doing now is just giving motivational speeches. No different than when LeBron James comes and gives a motivational speech. You want to do good kids, stay out of trouble. Don't do drugs. Respect your parents. Get good grades. That's awesome. You can go to hell like that too. You can go to hell, listen to me, gentlemen, having kissed your mom and given her flowers every Mother's Day. You can still go to hell. Husbands, you can still go to hell after, after having celebrated all your anniversaries, having taken care of everything your wife ever needed. Husbands like that can still go to hell. Because according to the word of God, we're not here just to be husbands. We're not here just to be sons and daughters. We're not just here to be moms and dads. We're here to be children of God. We're here to be obedient to the things of God. Can I hear an amen? So the man went away and told the Jewish leaders, hey, that was Jesus who had made me well. Look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. Come on, are you guys getting something out of the introduction? I mean, that's the beginning part of this message. Who are you? You know, are you the Jesus in the story? Are you well, now helping others get well? Are you the one that's sick and needs Jesus or someone like Jesus, in the name of Jesus rather, to come and get you well? Take it from both sides today, my friends. Don't let this pass you by. If there's any area in my life, Jesus, show me what needs to get well right now because I do not want to make excuses anymore. That's what every person needs to pray. Do you want to go full in for the things of God? Let's go. You want to go full in to the things of God in your marriage? Let's go. Put in the work. By God's grace, get up and walk. Don't be complacent in this culture. They're willing, to put up, they're willing to get up and walk for what they believe in. They're willing to get up and walk and do what they believe in. Are you willing to get up and walk for what you believe in? Amen. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. I talk about it a lot here. It helps people see the reality of what can happen to Christians, but I just want to show it to you. Oftentimes, my messages are shorter than my introduction, but I just want to remind you that you can be deceived. You can be deceived into thinking everything's okay and it's really not. As one man said, the lies that we often tell the loudest and the most often are the ones we tell ourselves. How many times have you said you're going to lose weight? Come on. How many times have you said you're going to save money and not go to Starbucks? How many times have you said, next time I'm in traffic, I won't do this, and then you do it again? 
How many times have we let these little foxes spoil our vines? Enough's enough in Jesus' name. Do you want to get well? Do you want your house to be a house of peace, mothers and fathers, and stop yelling in your house? Even if your children drive you crazy, let God give you a sound mind. Stop yelling at them. Bring peace to that house. It's okay to yell at times, but you get my point. Stop letting them dictate the the temperature of your home. You set the temperature of your home. You make that a house of peace in Jesus' name. Those of you who are in business for yourselves, you don't like your employees. A lot of times I talk to people in business for themselves. They don't like their employees. Fire them. Stop giving them second, third, and fourth, and fifth chances. Get the right people in there. I'm telling you, there's one guy I think of. I go boating with him. Every time I talk to him, he's an intelligent guy. He's got a great business. He's successful. But every time I talk to him, he's always complaining about his workers. Fire them. Get the right ones. Well, I keep getting the wrong ones. Then take a course on how to be a good boss and learn to hire the right ones. Stupid is as stupid does. Stop doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Get up and walk. Well, I tried that and it didn't work. We'll try something else. Stop getting stuck where you're at in Jesus' name. Christians are beyond getting stuck in the ditch. We are to soar on the wind like eagles. Our destiny is prospering in Jesus' name in a leaf that does not wither. That's what the Bible says about the blessed man. They prosper in whatever they do. Their leaf does not wither. Psalm chapter 1, praise God. How many are believing that today? Well, pastor, I've made mistakes before and failed. Okay, you're not a failure. Get back up, the Bible says. A righteous man may stumble. Get back up and succeed in Jesus' name. As you heard about how we came up, the man came up with seven up. He tried one up, nobody liked it. He tried two up, nobody liked it. Three up, four up, five up. Seriously, last time he said it, man, I'm going to try it again. Seven up, who wants some? Somebody bought it. That's my product. Half kid, though, man. Remember I told you I was in Atlanta? I was in Atlanta. I went to the Coca-Cola Museum. I won't tell you the story here, but read the story of how Coca-Cola became what it was. Read about how people went through what they went through to get where they got. It's the same thing with the people in the Bible. Why do we think we're just going to instantly ascend to success? The deliverance, the the blessing, those things come in the moment, but then we have to live it out and walk down the street with it. The man had to take up his mat and walk one step, two step, three step, four step to go down the road. Just because he was healed now didn't mean an angel was going to pick him up. If we want people to listen to our album that recorded, somebody's got to share it on Facebook. If you want us to come to you, you know, the people in the community come to your Bible study, somebody's got to invite them. we got to put in the gospel work, believing that God called us to get up and walk. Jesus talked to these lukewarm people. You've heard it before if you've been around for a while, Revelation 3.16. You can go up a little bit further. Just uh, maybe let's start here in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. So you're just right in the middle. You you come on Sundays, but you really don't go after God like you used to. You go to the Bible study, but you really don't put into it what you're supposed to. You go to your job, but you're really not giving your best. You have employees, but you're really not making them better. You're letting it slide. This is the kind of life of a lukewarm person. It says, I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about ready to spit you out my mouth. But notice what this person says in response. Notice how Jesus puts words into their mouth because he knows them. He knows their heart. So these are the words he puts back into their mouth. What he knows is their response. You say, I am rich. 
I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and have white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now look at what he says in verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So this is a loving message, isn't it? I'm encouraging you today, aren't I? I'm not trying to get you to be sadistic. I'm just not wanting you to love the pain. I'm just asking you, is a pastor who rebukes and disciplines a congregation a loving pastor according to the scriptures? Yes, I love you. I'm helping you. I want God to talk to me the same way I'm talking to you by sending me people. You can come to me the same way if you come with the word of God. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, stand, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Notice here that Jesus is not forcing himself into that door, and he's not begging. He's simply knocking, saying, get up and come to the door and let me in. Get up and come to the door in your job and let me into your job. Get up and open the door and let me come into your marriage. Get up, let me come into your finances. Get up and let me come into your high school. Stop making excuses. Get up and come answer the door. There's no more that's going to be done for you. This is it. It's the knocking and the promise of God. God is there at the door knocking, beckoning you to come. That's the grace of God, and that should make us all happy. But he won't go beyond that. He won't go beyond that. When it comes to his judgment, no one will have a choice. We believe that. We will, you know, everyone will confess him as Lord, including those who have hated him. Yes, he's going to uh, you know, do the battle of Armageddon. But here as he comes to his people, he's saying, come to me. Open the door. When you hear the Lord knocking at your door to pray in the morning, say, yes, Lord, I open the door to the prayer time that you set for me. Let God set the times that you pray. Don't just come to the Lord and go, okay, God, well, I've looked at my life, and this is where I can fit you in. I can fit you in, God, right here. You ask God where he belongs. You ask God where your prayer time goes. You ask God where your Bible study goes. Well, God, you know what? I've just been so discouraged lately, so I'm just going to study the fruit of the Spirit for the next year. No, maybe God wants you to read Ezekiel. Maybe God wants you to see his judgment coming and that he's great in mercy and that you'll call out to God in your hard times and know that he's great in mercy. Don't try to just figure this out on your own. Christianity isn't a figure it out on your own religion. It's a spirit-led relationship. Would you please put back up those lyrics, please? Let him shake up your religion. Let him shake the ground of your tradition. Let him break down the walls of your religion in Jesus' name. Thank you, my brother. You can leave it up there for a few moments. People sometimes ask us, well, man, do you guys believe in slain, being slain in the spirit here? Absolutely, but I'm not going to push you down, you know? I'm, I'm sorry if I don't have it like Benny Hinn or those people on TV, okay? But most of that's fake anyways because I've had them pray for me. When I don't fall down, they keep pushing. I'm telling you the truth. You talk to people who have been a part of those ministries. They, they, they want it to, to make themselves look better. But listen to me. Do I believe God can knock you down? Yeah. Do I believe God can make you laugh, give you joy? Do I believe God can make us all cry thinking about how good he's been to us? Absolutely. But I'm not here for the tradition. I'm not here just for me to shout and call it a Pentecostal service or for us to have this kind of worship instead of singing a hymn, and we call that exciting. Maybe God wants us to sing a cappella hymns for the next three months. Maybe God wants me to whisper the next message and sit on a stool and have all the children sit around like they did with Jesus at times. None of the tradition gets us what we want, in other words. 
Tradition doesn't get you life. Tradition doesn't get you breakthrough. Tradition doesn't get you to get a pep in your step every morning. It's the presence of God. It's obeying Jesus. So break down those walls of religion. Well, God has to do it this way. God has to do it that way. You know, this is the way God did it before, so God's got to do it this way. Get where God is at. Stop asking him to come where you're at. Go where he is at. God is always calling us to a deeper relationship. God is always calling us to another level of glory. God is always calling us out of our comfort zones. People think about the gospel truck now as a a part of our stable ministry. But at one point, that was a radical decision. I could have just stayed there. But then the Lord said to me, start a Bible college. And now I'm behind the scenes starting a Bible college. Why? Because that's God saying, that's where I'm at. I could have stayed working at the Bible college I was at making money. But now we're spending our money to start our own. Why? Because that's what God said. Don't anyone tell me here that it's always easy. I know it's not always easy. I'm not here to tell you that going far with God is always going to be a soft road. But what I am here to tell you is that he'll always carry the burden with you. He will always be there to give you rest. How many believe that God has always been with you? On every step of the journey, so it's worth it. I would rather not get paid, start a Bible college, have early mornings and late nights, and have Jesus be with me than getting paid to have a Bible college and me grieving the Lord. Are you understanding that? I would rather have had that gospel truck going out hours and hours and hours teaching everybody how to use it so that now it can be used without me being there. I would rather give up all of those hours that I could have been doing something else and to know that there's a gospel truck here now than to have sat on my holy backside not doing anything because none of you knew God told me to do it. It was in my heart to God. It was a secret that the Lord gave to me. I could have not shared it with anybody. God hasn't told me to start, uh, you know, make a gospel truck. That's more work for me. That's more money from our church's account. We'll just stay right here. We'll do another conference. I'll sell another book. We'll dance another dance on Sunday, make you all feel happy. But God said, no, take a step of faith. I don't know the secret things God is telling you. What secret things is he telling you, my brother and brother and sister? What is he telling you? I don't know. This man right here, the plumber that we all know and love as Andrew Sienski, could be the next Smith Wigglesworth. He was a plumber in his 50s until he became the greatest evangelist of England in the early 1900s. Study about Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you don't know his name, and it's a shame because you know sports stars, but you don't know your heroes of the faith. This brother Israel right here could be the next Carlos Anaconda. Carlos Anaconda was a successful businessman into his 40s until the Lord told him to start putting tents in Argentina. Study these people. Learn their lives. Learn from the hall of faith. Everybody had to trust God and get up and do something. Do you want to get well? Or do you want to keep hearing the same old, same old, doing the same old, same old, and then using religious terms to make yourself feel better? You know, I could say that too. Well, you know, it's just, well, God just doesn't want to send revival to Chicago, so we'll just keep praying here. No, no, no. We're not going to go out on the streets. We're not going to go out and preach. We'll just stay here until the Lord brings revival, until the Lord puts it in somebody's heart when they're driving by to pull over and come into the church. No, we're going to be preaching at them while they're driving by. Amen. We're going to go out of our way to see revival come. 
Some of us who are spiritual need to go back to the lessons of the farmer because sometimes, as uh, the old saying goes, you're so spiritually minded, you're of no earthly good. I believe that's, a, that's an indictment against the Spirit of God because God will never have you waste your time. So I believe it should be said like this, be so spiritually minded that you change the earth for good because God's Spirit knows how to change the earth. We need to go back to the farmer. When the farmer sees that empty dirt... What does he do? Like right now, everybody, you know, may not know much about farming, but how many know if you're going to have a harvest in the fall, you got to do something in the, in the summer, in the spring? Any gardeners in here? Are you, just, are you just praying over your dirt? you just praying over it? Oh, dirt, in the name of Jesus. I pray for seed to come to you from a little birdie that flies by. For that seed of an apple tree to be dropped right here. And then in the name of Jesus, I pray for that dirt to not have any weeds come around so that little apple tree, that little apple seed can grow up and become an apple tree. Is that how farmers do it? Get up and walk in Jesus' name. Get out and farm in Jesus' name. Everything in life Jesus taught us is about seed time and harvest. You want to harvest in the fall? You go out right now in that muddy spring, cold, hot, cold weather of Chicago, and you start tilling that ground with Jesus. You start planting those seeds. You start guarding that garden. You guard the garden. You pull out those weeds because you said, this is when I start. You see, the get up and go is the beginning of the miracle. It's never the end. That man's miracle didn't end that day. That's where it began. What did he do with those two legs? What did he do now that he was healed? What did the woman do now that she got water to drink from the Holy Spirit at the well? What does the woman caught in adultery now do? See, that's where the miracle continues on through life. We just want the moment. Oh, Jesus, make all my problems go away so I can go back to life as usual. That's not how Jesus made it to be. Jesus wants you to be successful in the kingdom of God with that which he's given you so that everywhere you go, you're reaping a harvest. God, we're about ready to get a divorce. Would you please heal our marriage? Get up and pray every morning. Watch your mouth, and I'll change your marriage. Now the marriage has changed, and now you sow seeds in that marriage every day, and it becomes a blessing for your children and your children's children. God, I want to be set free from debt and poverty. They're about ready to repossess my car. Everything's going wrong. God says, listen, I'm going to get you a job. You save it. You go see Peter Geraci if you have to. You, whatever you go through, this is how you do it now, and you don't look back. And then, you, and then the miracle happens, your mind is right, and then you start saving and you start planting, and then you reap a harvest of financial blessing. You see, I'll tell you both sides of the story. I won't just tell you about the instantaneous miracle that I got set free from pornography, drug addiction, all of those things that day when I got saved November 5th. I'll tell you about how after I got saved, how I had to walk with my mat every day and serve Jesus. Because the miracle continues And if you ever take it for granted and then you become religious, that miracle begins to die. Because ever since I got saved, I get tempted now, just like you do. And if I stop believing that God is my everything, drugs are right around the corner. I had a friend I went to Bible college with. He has six kids just like me. He's a couple years older than me. He went back into drugs in his mid-40s after being a pastor for 20 years. You see, don't take for granted the miracle that God gave you. Work that miracle every single day for the goodness of God. How dare the man in our story, after he's healed, go back to that pool 
Well, what you doing there, man? Well, I'm just hanging out. This is all that I know. But I thought you came here because you were sick. You're not sick anymore. Yeah, but you know what? I just want to hang out here. This is where life's been good for me. I was here 38 years. This is my corner. This is my block. This is my job. This is my thing. You know, that old way of thinking will keep you right there. And you'll waste the miracle. God gave you that ability to walk, to go and change the world. And if you come back, you come back as the one like Jesus to get other invalids up in Jesus' name. You don't go back to your job the same way. You go back there as an agent of change. You don't go back to 201 into discipleship the same way. You go back there with your miracle, and you begin to see life transformation. Somebody said to us the other day, they said, Man, don't you guys have any, you know, yesterday, this, you know, as we were preaching at the abortion clinic, and they said, don't you have anything better to do? I said, this is the best thing to do in life, man. What do you have to replace it with? What are you doing right now? You're going to go hang out with your girlfriend in yoga pants? You guys going to go down to the lake? I can still go down to the lake. You think I can't do that too? But I'm out here doing exactly what God wanted me to do, put it in gospel work. And then he said to us, oh, man, you guys probably aren't very successful. I said, we're the biggest we've ever been. We get people off these corners all the time. We baptize them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Making disciples is our business, and business is good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, you're not going to get us to stop because you don't like it. I don't care what he likes. Are you listening to me? I'm going to get my miracle in Jesus' name. God is calling us to get up and walk. As I begin to end this service, Vinny, would you come, please? I want us to look at our lives so that we're not hypocrites. Because when we walk out of here, we need to be like Jesus to a world that's crippled and hurting. But right now, can we all look at our lives and see if there's anything in us that needs to be lifted up today? That the excuses will end. That we'll say to the Lord, here I am, Lord, use me. Do you want to get well? That's what Jesus asked that man. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you search our hearts and to these areas of our lives that we're oftentimes ashamed of because we're stuck in a rut. And we just want to make all our excuses, get camaraderie, and then just be okay with being in this rut. God, expose those areas right now and show us, oh God, you have more for us. Well, this is just the way our marriage is. My wife and I, we always talk to each other like this, and sometimes we go to bed angry. If God is exposing things in your marriage, repent of it right now. God changed my marriage. Come on, get up and walk and bring a new marriage home today. Young people, well, you know, my mom and dad don't serve Jesus. I come here and I'm really happy to be a part of this church. And, you know, going to high school is already tough enough. I don't want to share my faith. No, get up and walk. Get up and walk to the lunch table of all the, the most popular kids in school and say, I got something to tell you. Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. Do you know it? And then go to the next table the next week of the most unpopular kids. And then go to the druggies. Sit at every lunch table you possibly can and start introducing them to Jesus. Do you want to see revival in your high school or you just want to come to youth group and pray about it for five minutes? Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. Lord, show us, is there any way in our lives that we need to get up and walk in right now? Miracles are coming. The miracle to get up and walk is going to come. You know what the first miracle was for this church? It wasn't you coming here in the place being filled last, you know, yet last week with almost 300 people. That wasn't the miracle. It was the miracle that Jesus said started when I was in my house with three or four people. See, that's where the miracle starts. Get up and walk, Joe. Get up and start a church. But Jesus, I don't have a denomination. Jesus, I don't have any money. But you have an apartment, start there. Get up and walk. 
in the name of Jesus. That's where the miracle starts. It doesn't finish there. It doesn't end there because I've been walking a long time with this miracle now. A few moments right now will change your life. Some of you come to this church, you get so easily offended. You know, they don't tell me all the offenses, but every now and then they'll give me an update. Well, this person got offended. This one already left. This one did that. Stop getting offended. Get up and be forgiving. Stick in a good church. Be here for 10 years and then tell me what you don't like. We don't need to hear about it in the first six months or year you being here. Has anybody hurt you, touched you in naughty places, or stolen from you, or taught you false doctrine? Other than that, get over it in Jesus' name. Get up and walk into a relationship with the church. Father, do it, God. Do it, Jesus. Do it in my life. I want a marriage, God, that walks every day until we reach 50 years and then some. Father, I want my children to get up and walk with me as they remain free from the sins of this world. Lord, I want you to bless our finances so that we have more than enough. Help me to get up and walk, oh God. Lord, bless my weight and my health goals so I get up and walk. Stop talking about change, God, and give me change, oh Lord. I want to stop talking about it, and I want to see it in Jesus' name. I believe you, Father, that you sent Jesus to get people up and walk, to get them up and walking. Lord, take away our excuses. Well, I don't have anybody to do this for me. Well, I, I don't have friends like I used to. Well, well, she doesn't talk to me like she Well, my kids do this now. Well, my employees do this. Well, my boss. Get up and walk in Jesus' name. Enough with the excuses. Jesus said, get up and walk after the man said all of his excuses. Some of them may be valid. You'll learn lessons through that. But you do it while you're walking, not running away or staying in your same place. Maybe you'll be a better friend than we've had here before, and you'll stick around for five to ten years, and you'll be the best friend Metro Praise has ever seen, but you got to stick with it. Maybe you're going to go through some bad employees. you got to fire some, but you're going to get the best ones as you learn to be the best boss and have the best business in the next three to five years. But get up right now and make those changes. Maybe you got to put up with junk from your boss for a little bit now as an employee, but you're going to become a boss one day. You're going to stop quitting all these jobs. In Jesus' name, get up and walk. A few more moments. Father, show us. Show us these areas of our lives where we become complacent. Whether it's in ministry, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our finances, whether it's in our health. You said you want heaven on earth. Start in me today, Jesus. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? If you're thankful for God's word, can you give God a hand clap of praise as we stand up today? Amen. How many want to walk with me as I walk with Jesus? Amen. I am my brother's keeper. I am my brother's keeper. You're going to walk with me? We're going to get into hell? Dropping 20 pounds in Jesus' name. No excuses. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be who I've never been at 45. I'm going to do what I've never done at 45. You're going to get up and walk louder into entrepreneurship to a whole nother level in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk in your business. Get up and walk in your family. Come on, Iguela, you're going to get up and walk in Jesus' name. All your grandkids are going to go to a whole nother level. You're not going to lose any one of them to this world in Jesus' name. You're going to get up and walk. You're going to do things right. You're going to put God first in every relationship. Listen to godly counsel. Follow the Lord and how he leads and guides you. Using your gifts for him. Singing on this stage, not where Katy Perry sings. Amen. Get up and walk. I could go around to each one of you right now because as a pastor, I know many of what your prayer requests now. I hope that you prayed to Jesus while I was praying for you. 
because I can't make you get up and walk. I can't do it for you. I pray that in all of those examples I was hitting on, that the ones that apply to you, you are saying, yes, Lord, that's me. Because that's what we do as Christians. We get up and walk in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you today for this wonderful service after the Resurrection Sunday. I pray now post-resurrection that we continue to live a new life and that we live by the power of the Holy Spirit, free from sin, free from our failures, free from our mistakes, free from our excuses to live the kind of life that you have for us. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord today if you love him one more time? First service, come on. God bless you. Feel free to come up and pray. If you don't know Jesus yet, we'll lead you in prayer to know the Lord. If you need to be baptized in the Spirit, speaking in other tongues, come on up. Prayers of healing, prayers of deliverance, come on up. Otherwise, we'll see you at Life Groups. Thank you, everyone. God bless you. Thank you, band.